Hey everyone, thanks for joining. Today I am speaking with Sinead. I started following her on Twitter. Um, you can find her at I am Watson. And I became aware of her because her account got suspended. <laughs> and then it came then and Twitter brought her back. So she talks about you know transitioning and detransitioning. I'll post a couple of links to videos um, and interviews she's done other places in the description. Hey Sinead, thank you for coming on. It's my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. So I, um, like I mentioned, you, you know, you've detransitioned, and there's, just, I mean, this is like a lot in the media nowadays. Um, but I don't want to like spend too much time uh, talking about your story because I know you've got other interviews, and I'll post links to them. But if you want to just give a brief, because I'd like to rather spend more time talking about the ideology and stuff, if that's okay with you. Yeah, that suits me perfectly. Mm. Um, well, uh, unlike a lot of the other detransitioners that are speaking out just now, mm. I adopted the trans identity as an adult. So I wasn't mm. like, you know, a high school kid that got wrapped up in the social contagion aspect of it. Mm. Um, so I picked up the trans identity when I was 20 or 21. I came out to friends and family and started the social transition when I was 22. I started the testosterone injections. Um, when I was 24, I got the double mastectomy when I was 26, and I detransitioned, stopping the testosterone when I was uh, 28. Okay, so when you, like, so, I mean, there was a little bit of a time lag there, because, I mean, a couple of the people I've spoken to or a couple of other people I've heard talk about it, I mean, you know, they were getting hormones sometimes the same day yeah so that gap that you had was that more for uh were you like were you getting therapy or were you it was just was it from your end or was it also counselors and other people saying okay we got to maybe explore other avenues or how is that working it was largely due to the waiting list so i okay. i ref you can self-refer here you don't need a doctor to refer you so I called up the Sandiford Gender Clinic in Glasgow and referred myself onto their waiting list in 2014. They told me that the waiting list was going to be roughly 12 to 13 months, um, during which time there's no mandatory therapy or anything like that. So you just kind of need to wait to get your appointment call. Um, so I got the appointment call in early 2015. And after a couple of evaluation appointments, I got the testosterone injection that summer. Okay. So once you got the evaluation, it goes kind of quickly now. Yeah. I mean, like I said, like, you know, I'd like to talk a bit about the ideology, but this is, I don't know if this is wrapped up in it or how that works because like, if you, okay, if you have to wait 12 to 14 months or that, you know, that time period, but at the same time, they're saying, okay, if you don't help kids transition, they're going to commit suicide or th things like that. Like, wouldn't at least it behoove them to offer some form of counseling in that time period? I mean, I'm just curious because I mean it could be an under, other underlying issue. It could be depression. It could be something, or it could you know be dysphoria. It could be any like, but like, why wouldn't they want to at least look at the mental health of the person who's asking for it? Honestly, I think it's just because they don't have the staff or the resources. Because there's been such a massive surge mm -hmm. in the number of people, specifically women and girls, referring themselves to the clinic. Um, they, I. 
I can't possibly imagine how they would be able to have so many therapists and counsellors free um, because there's thousands and thousands of uh, people now uh, on these lists, whereas it used to just be hundreds. So over the past, what would it be, maybe five to six years, maybe a little more, maybe over the past seven years, um, it's absolutely exploded. So I don't really think it's negligence necessarily on their part. I think they've just been completely blown over by how much more common this has become. Okay. So kind of going with that. So the ideology, like now, I got into talking about a lot of this stuff, like call it whatever you want, woke, I, you know, I don't care about the name, um, on the race aspect. Mm-hmm. And it was just purely because I was being called a white supremacist for criticizing Islam. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, I'm not white, so there's a bit of a problem there. And then I just wanted <laughs> to know where that came from. And that was it. And that, that, but along the way, I mean, you know, I read some Judith Butler. I read some Gil Rubin. I read a couple of papers here and there. One thing that always kind of trips me up is like the trans activism seems to be coming more from like the queer theory side of things than gender theory. And it just seems to me gender theory would be where that would emanate from just because I mean, you know, they changed women's studies to gender studies or, you know, like things like that. So I like, how do the two work together and, or, or am I kind of seeing this the wrong way? I mean, they used to work together. I remember, you know, when I was first like identifying as trans back in like 2012, 2013, mm-hmm. I was on like a transition board and the vast majority of the trans people there called themselves transsexual rather than transgender. They acknowledged mm-hmm. that you can't change sex. Um, they didn't say you can't talk about periods or you'll offend the trans women, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know, now it's, it's completely went out the window where the idea of queer theory and queer identities are so hostile to women especially, but men as well. You know, just you can't talk about men's issues and women's issues because that erases trans women and trans men, or you need to acknowledge that trans women are actually women, um, which, you know, I, I don't mind them doing that because it's it's pissing more people off and making people start to stand up and say, look, this whole queer thing you're doing, it's bullshit. Um and we're not going to sit by and be polite anymore. Okay. It's just because, like I said, it's, it just seems just logically, and I know it kind of seems weird because, you know, on the surface of it, there's not a lot, lot of logic to this stuff, but you know, logically you would think it would come from the gender theory. But that whole queering, now, again, maybe I'm, you know, wrong off this if i read things like intersectionality that's looking at how you've been oppressed and how your oppressions interlock and the way you can see the world and but they specifically don't want to dismantle that racial identity that was imposed by them you know on them by cis hetero white men or whatever you know like the, the whole thing but whereas in the queer and the gender it is again ty- a type of intersectionality, but it's how not how you've been oppressed, but how you are oppressing. So they want to get completely rid of that identity. So like, I, it's like, I, I see that coming from the queer side. So when you like you know, when they say okay, we need to queer this, like people, you know, it's it's basically to problematize it, right? But 
is that where the friction with the gender side comes from it is like they're they want to completely erase all genders so that's where the gender theory or the women's studies or whatever that's where that the friction with the queer theory stuff comes in or is, is that am i wrong on that well that's where they get hypocritical because when they do say you know you can't say mother you need to see birthing parent and you can't say women's studies you say queer studies and things like that but on the other hand they'll also insist that trans women are women and trans men are men and things like that so it's like do you want to abolish gender or do you want want it to continue to be acknowledged but as long as it fits how you want to describe it and acknowledge it um because it's weird you can speak to two different people who are on that side of it and get two completely different opinions from them um you know saying we shouldn't be saying mother and father anymore we should just be saying parents and then on the other hand you have them saying we should be calling trans women who have children mothers and trans men who have children fathers it's like i'm not entirely sure exactly what you want anymore <laughs> oh, okay i mean i joke around with it i said it's like uh because one of my friends asked me like well how how does this stuff work i'd be like okay Remember that, you know, there was an episode of The Simpsons where I think, like Ned Flanders' house gets destroyed and his house is the only one that gets destroyed. And he's like out in the woods. He's like, oh, God, I've done everything in the Bible, you know, everything the Bible says, even the stuff that contradicts the other stuff. And I was like, that's like, kind of, like perfect <laughs> for this. <laughs> but again, with this stuff, I mean, so, you know, I'm a... I'm a seventies and eighties kid. Like I, I was, I was a teenager in the eighties. And even back then, I remember it had started where it didn't matter if a little boy played with a doll or a little girl played with a truck. That's just a boy or a girl playing with a toy. That was it. You know, like there was, and we, it was, you know, to get away from that idea of this is a male toy or a female toy or whatever, you know, get away from that, those ideas. But now with this stuff, it's, if a little boy wants to play with a doll, all of a sudden, okay, you're a girl and we got to get you, you know, on or puberty blockers or something. I don't know. And I'm seeing it younger and younger and younger. I mean, it's, that's another one of those contradictions. I mean, why can't you just be a boy that whatever wants to wear a dress or plays with toys or a girl that likes to roughhouse and plays with trucks or whatever. I mean, like, why is that, a bad way to express your masculinity or femininity. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the rare sort of times where I will use the, the woke tactic of throwing out isms at people. It's because a part of it is deeply sexist and deeply homophobic, um, you know, because there was a whistleblower who came out recently about the Tavistock, which is the big gender clinic mm -hmm. for children in England, who said, you know, and this was a, a gay a psychotherapist that had worked there, said that, Basically, they were running a gay conversion therapy center for kids because a lot of the kids that were being brought in were gender non-conforming, had issues with sexuality, and uh, the parents basically would rather a straight trans girl than um, a gay son. And so when you see things like, oh, the little boy likes a doll and likes dresses, you can't just let him be a little boy that likes dolls and dresses. He must be a girl. Because either there's the fear that, oh, he likes the dolls, I don't want a gay son, or it's just the, the plain old sexism of you're not meeting the gender stereotypes, therefore there's something wrong with you and we're going to take you to a clinic to get treatment. It's really dark when you think about it. Yeah, I mean, okay, I'm concerned about it. I, I don't have kids. I'm not a parent. I have you know a niece and a nephew. Um, but I'm concerned about it, like, 
okay, I'm going to be kind of a little cold here, but I'm, I'm concerned about it in a way of, okay, it's getting into biology departments in universities. It's getting into med schools. You know, when I'm retired and I, I want my doctors to know biology, I, you know, like, like I am, I'm like in one sense, I'm being very pragmatic about this. I, yeah. And I'm being selfish. I want to look after myself. Like, you know, you know what I, you know, I mean? but like, I, you're an adult, you did, you know, you transitioned as an adult and I'm like, fill your boots, do whatever you want. As long as you're not harming anyone else. Like, I, I, I don't care. Yeah. You know? Um, but like, I, this forcing of a new reality. And like I said, you know, it's getting into hospitals. It's getting into things like that. I'm like, that's what gets me a little worried about this. It's like, okay, I'm not going to argue with anyone who's an adult, but like when you start giving it to little children, where you're, when you're changing, you know, definitions, when you're changing definitions of the word woman, there's a lot of the stats we can get into that later, but like, like that, I just don't get that. Like I, like where like that impetus, I mean, I, I obviously you, do, you might not know, but we're doctors and therapists and they're just going along with this. Like, like where's that coming from? Like, it, it, again, is this just imbibing ideology or is this being pushed from somewhere else or how does that work? Well, my feel when I've, cause I've spoken to therapists and counselors um, mm -hmm. who were very uncomfortable when I brought up uh, transition regret and things like that. Mm -hmm. And the sense that I got from some of them was this person is ideologically captured. They're not looking at me as a patient to treat. They're now looking at me as a threat to their beliefs because I'm no longer the perfect little trans person that they wanted to be. But on the other hand, I have had messages um, on my Twitter from therapists and things like that who've said, you know, I follow you and I agree with what you're saying and stuff like that. But if I was to say this at my place of work, it would jeopardize my job. Maybe, maybe it's easy to say, if you're a doctor, I mean, your oath is first do no harm. <laughs> and if you're seeing harm's done, I mean, doesn't something... Okay, like in Canada, where so we just had Bill C six pass. I don't know if you follow that or not. Or so it comes under the heading of anti conversion therapy. So right away you think of like you know electrodes onto gay people and all that, and it has that in there. But it it also has for gender ID, and it says the only care that they can get is affirming care. So and they have to affirm the new identity of, you know, of the person who's transitioned. So if you were to go in and say, you know, I'm having problems transitioning or I'm, or I want to detransition or I want to, you know, or, or I want to stop, like, you know, I want to stop the hormone therapy where they would look at, you know, there, there's some who are expressing concern about this, but it's like, they would look at like, why are you internalizing transphobia and things like that? Like they're not, it's kind of forcing them to stick with, like the, the, like they have to affirm the new uh, the new gender identity. They can't. It's like they're worried that they can't even uh, you know entertain the idea that this person might have some other underlying issues. They want to transition back. Like, I mean, how much harm is that going to do to people? Like, I mean, if you hadn't been able to detransition, like, I mean, I, I don't. Sorry, and this is getting too personal. Like, it's I don't want to push it, but like, if you hadn't, you know, you wanted to detransition, but if you weren't getting that kind of help, like. I mean, like, what would you have to, like, Like, are you then forced to live somewhere you don't want to live? Like, I, I don't get that either. Sorry. I mean, it, it strongly depends on um, how far you went with the legal change. So um, I was able to just stop my testosterone and that was fine. Um, 
I was able to change all of my legal documents bar my birth certificate because mm-hmm. I didn't bother getting the gender recognition certificate because I didn't need it because I got all my, my driver's license, my passport and all that changed. But I have spoken to several D-trans women who did get the recognition certificate and they've went to their doctors and they've said, you know, I regret transition, I want to detransition. And they've basically been told, well, you need to have a lived experience as your birth sex before we can legally allow you to return to your birth sex. Um, but if you're going to do affirmation only, technically that wouldn't be uh, possible because that wouldn't be affirming to the trans identity. I mean, I've spoken about the whole conversion therapy thing before. Um, there, there was a survey done by Post Trans and among the things that were seen as factors into why they initially tra- uh, identified as trans in the first place, I mean, you had abuse, you had trauma, you had eating disorders, you had um, that they'd been bullied and they'd sort of found refuge on, in online trans spaces and then picked up the trans identity. You've got the social contagion. There's a depression, anxiety. You've got all of these factors that have and will continue to lead people into trans identity. But if that's not going to be discussed in explorative psychotherapy at the clinics because it's conversion therapy, um, it's going to massively harm thousands of young people because you're putting them down an irreversible medical pathway. And I have to tell you, um, when you detransition and regret all that, and you just kind of stand there and you're like, why on earth did they allow me to inject cross-sex hormones and get on that surgeon's table without even bothering to ask if there was some other things going on and doing some exploratory therapy? That's astounding. I want to kind of tie this in with something else. It's just when you started transitioning, now I'm going to equate this to a religion. Now, when people convert to Islam, they're praised. Oh, look at this. It's, you know, and they're showered with love and blah, blah, blah. And, and if that person then becomes an apostate, because usually it's about five years. If they're going to leave, they leave within the first five years. And otherwise they're, they're in for, for good. Um, then they're, you know, vilified and they're derided and it's all kinds of, I mean, you know, apostates have a death threat on them in 13 countries because um, it's illegal, right? Like it's so, what was your experience like when you said, okay, I'm going to transition? I mean, there's, you know, the family and friend side of things, but like from within like the trans community, like, because again, like, I want to try to equate this to a religion or a cult because it has a lot of similarities. They're very similar, so, yeah. Yeah. So within the, within the, the trans community, like what was like from, you know, transitioning to detransitioning, what was, what was that reaction like? Well, I was a bit of a unique case because even when I was trans, I was um, classed as true scum. So, uh, you know, I, even when I was trans, I opposed giving puberty blockers to children. I acknowledged that you couldn't change sex and, and stuff like that. So the trans community, like the woke side of it, really wasn't fond of me even when I was trans um so you know I I was like a heretic then and now I'm an apostate so they hate me even more um but I've spoken to a lot of other D-trans women including uh Helena who I I'm sure you've spoken to um where they will say you know when I was identified as trans and regurgitating the ideology you know I was beautiful and I was brave and I could do no wrong and then the minute I sort of put my hand up and said 
I think I'm dealing with some transition regret. It was like, you traitor, you were never really trans, you're a liar, you're using your experiences to harm trans people because you're weaponizing your regret and all this. Like The hostility is something that unless you see it for yourself, you wouldn't believe just the vitriol that a lot of trans activists have for apostates like me. <laughs> like something like that now, Okay, ex-Muslims get the same thing. You were never really Muslim, this or that. Like, you know, and you know, I can get see it in some ways. Like, if you were born into a family that's normally Muslim and you never really practice it, that's you know, yes, you were born into it, and that's whatever. Like, but someone who actually goes out and gets hormones, you know, and or gets surgery done and then regrets it and wants to go back. Like to say that you were never really trans, like, I mean, what, you were just doing that on a lark? (laughs) Again, that's real inconsistency because if you can decide what your identity is, then why is it so bad that you've changed your mind? Well, my, because I get that a lot, um, quite regularly, every time I'll put something out and there's always some, tip that pops up and is like well it's because you were never really trans and my response to that is always well if I was never really trans then we have to admit that there's a fault in the clinics because I was diagnosed by a professional who evaluated me who then referred me for medical intervention so if I was never really trans and that wasn't picked up by the professionals evaluating people then we need to admit that there's the need for reform in these clinics if they're misdiagnosing and mistreating people they never like it when I say that, but it's my go-to response. <laughs> yeah, I know, but it's, you know, the truth hurts sometimes, I guess. But like, like in this, this with children, like you'd mentioned, Helena, Helena and I had spoken to her and I've seen some of the G transition stories and then, you know, someone like Kira Bell, like with the children. Now, again, adults do whatever you want. You're an adult, you know, fill your boots. Um, when I see like a 5,000% increase in girls transitioning, I'm like, okay, doesn't that kind of like ring some alarm bells somewhere or so what's kind of going on with it? Cause you'd mentioned social contagion. And so like, what's going on with that? Like, I mean, I, I see it in the schools now, like more and more, they're starting a younger, younger age, but I mean, there's a lot of it online as well. So like what's again, if you don't mind getting a bit of that, like the grooming basically. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's difficult to sort of pinpoint one thing because it's so complicated. Um, but uh, among the stories of like the detransitioned women and some of the trans uh, men that I've spoken to as to, you know, what kind of led to their trans identification, um, a few things crop up repeatedly. Things like, you know, I didn't have many friends, so I turned to the internet. And so, you know, I ended up going down these rabbit holes and I found the LGBT community on places like Tumblr and then I started reading the blogs and I just got pulled into it and um, adopted the identity that I thought would make me the most respected and loved and admired within my new group of friends like my glitter family as they call it. Um, So it tends to be young um, lonely people who you know you're young you want attention you want to feel valued you want to feel cool and special there's no more cool or special or, you know, trendy identity for young girls and women right now than being trans. Um, and again, I say that as someone that I wasn't a trans teenager. 
but I speak to dozens and dozens of D-trans women and I've got a lot of trans friends as well. And they're like, yeah, you know, there's a difference between someone who has gender, uh, gender dysphoria from a very young age and it haunts them consistently from the minute they're able to speak and articulate that they feel this way. And a teenage girl who was a perfectly normal teenage girl until she hit 14, found some online forums and suddenly now she's a trans man called Jacob who wants testosterone and her breasts cut off. Like, that's, you can't say that those are the same things. It's definitely social contagion and a large part of it is because of social media. Now, like one thing you mentioned there, okay, these kids are you know lonely or feel disenfranchised, that kind of thing. Now, with the race stuff, and I said it, I said, you know, look back to the gangs in the eighties, because I mean, you had the huge explosion of like the gangs in the mid and late eighties in the states, and then as a counter to that, you had a lot of skinhead and white supremacist groups. I mean, it's basically all just fighting for drug tariff rate, but it was when you listen to the, the police or you listen to the, the, you know, like the gang specialists or whatever they were, they go to high schools, they find the kids who are loners. They find the kids who feel like they're bullied. They find the kids who lack purpose or whatever, and they give them belonging. Now I've been saying this stuff about the race stuff. Like if you go into, because I mean, I mean, I, I followed up on it and like starting in about 2010 in the U S it was in some high schools in, you know, like the, the progressive States like New York and California and Washington places like that. Like, it, but it wasn't very ubiquitous, but it was still in some high schools and it was, you know, teaching who's oppressed, who's oppressor, you know, these people have kept you down. Um, there was one school in New York city in 2015, starting in the third grade. 45 minutes a week, they would take kids, separate them by race, tell all the races, you know, like the brown kids, the Latino, like the, like all the black kids, the Latino kids, the Asian kids. Um, here's all the great things people from your race have done. You've been oppressed. White kids, white people have been holding you down. They, t- they told, and then they told the white kids that, you know, your race has done all these awful things like in slavery and blah, 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 blah. And you've been oppressors. And this is third grade children, right? So, eight years old, maybe and for, 45 minutes a week within a couple of months, all the kids started turning into ethno-nationalists because they started going online, checking into like, hey, what's great about being white. What's great about being black. What's great. Uh-huh. And like, they just started and the white kids started spouting like KKK stuff. I'm like, I was like, okay, you're creating a smorgasbord for gangs and extremists of any type to pick these kids off. So when you're getting that, especially now, like I said, they're starting it from, you know, kindergarten where they're talking about who's oppressing who and, you know, like, and then you especially get it for women that just because you're women, you're automatically oppressed. You're going to get, you know, 22 cents less on the dollar (laughs) and like all, all, you know, one in five of you is going to get raped and blah, 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 like all these things that go out. So aren't you like... In my mind, the schools are conditioning the kids to go online and find these places because they are creating a larger number of kids that are going to be disenfranchised and feel set upon and want to be loners and think everyone's out to get them because that's what the schools are telling them. Yeah, they're they're basically 
getting these kids while they're very young and getting them addicted to the victimhood mentality. You know, like, oh, woe is you, you're such a victim, look how terrible you've had it and stuff like that. So, you know, you have a right to have um, a chip on your shoulder. And there's nothing as good as going to come from it. Like, as you said, you know, you're going to split all these kids up by race and tell all of the other races that, you know, the white people are evil and all that. And then the little white kids are like, I haven't done anything wrong, but I'm being treated badly. So I'm going to go on Google. And before you know, you've created a little Nazi, right? Like, you know, that doesn't surprise me that that could happen. (laughs) So I just, whether it's race, whether it's gender, whether it's religion, like pick your poison, whatever it is, we really shouldn't be putting it in the face of children when they're that young, dividing up into groups. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, because, you know, I'd call me crazy, but I would imagine the best thing to do to fight racism would be to get kids of all races in a room and say, you know, play with one another and have a good time and become friends with one another. And then you'll see that race really doesn't make a person. Yeah, I mean, that's, again, with either of it's the the race stuff or the, the gender stuff, the hyper focus on identity is ruining everything. I mean, you can't, you know, you, you can't have a conversation about anything without either race or gender coming into it. I mean, you know, you can talk about what a nice, lovely, sunny day it is, and I'm sure someone's going to f- bring one of those two topics into it. Like, Clearly, you've never been in one of the cold countries that are winter all the time. Because <laughs> yeah. um, like, that's the thing, um, like, you know, when, when I came out as like a detransitioner and all that, like a lot of the feminists came to sort of pat me on the back and be like, don't worry, we've got you and stuff. And I'm hugely grateful for that support and stuff like that. But they weren't very happy when I said, you know, I don't, I don't think I'm oppressed and I don't believe in patriarchy, not in this country, maybe in places like Saudi Arabia, certainly, but yeah. I don't think the UK is a patriarchy and I don't believe in rape culture and, and all of that stuff. Um, but it's it's not just that I don't believe in it. I don't think it's helpful to think like that because if you're a young woman and you're being told, you know, you're a victim and you're being oppressed and you're probably going to have all these terrible things happen to you and be taken advantage of and not make as much money, um, you know, I can imagine it wouldn't be too difficult for a young woman to go, well, what's the point in trying then? You know, it's such a depressing, victimhood pointless way of thinking to me. Yeah, now the, the the whole victimhood thing just just drives me crazy. Uh, I want to touch on something you'd mentioned earlier, like you was talking about the gender clinics and like, okay, I can have a trans daughter instead of a gay son type of thing. Now, it's just because like places like Code Pink and Pink News, you know, Law Iran, and then now recently Pakistan as well. Oh, they provide free transitions, th- you know, surgeries. It's like, well, yeah, it's get the surgery or die. Yeah. I mean, that, you know, but. but now, this is a very rare thing. I don't want to like try to make it sound like this is common or whatever, but I have heard rumblings of things like that from very fundamentalist Christian groups in the States where it's better to have a trans child than it is to have a gay child. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like they're expressly saying that. So like, cause you'd mentioned that before. Like, I mean, is that, I don't want to even try to guess where code pink and pink news are coming from, but is that kind of like, are you seeing any of that? Or, I mean, I, I, you know, again, I have no idea, but like, cause you'd mentioned it. I just curious, like, is, is that something that's even slightly common or. I couldn't tell you how common it is because to my knowledge, there's never been 
any like anyone actually looking into it. But if you read the Care Quality Commission report that investigated the Tavistock, um, they got access to a, a bunch of files um, which they were examining and finding out just how how little evidence and data were being collected by the clinic. But they noted that in nearly every single file that they checked, there was notes by clinicians saying that they were they had a concern that homophobia had a role to play in this, whether it was coming from the parents or whether it was being experienced by the kid. Um, and I can't remember his first name, but the doctor I mentioned earlier, Dr. Bristow, um, he was the, you know, he worked there for years and he outright came and said, you know, I couldn't work there anymore because from what I saw, it felt like we were running a gay conversion camp. Um, so, I mean, maybe it's just in the Tavistock. I don't know how it is in America, but yeah, there's, I mean, come on. If you've got parents who freak out when their little boy picks up a Barbie doll and says that must make he's a girl, we're going to pretend that that might not have some homophobia in it. Because we all know, like, you, you know the old joke that used to be made where back when we were allowed to enjoy politically incorrect jokes, the the uh, son played with a dollhouse or something like that. The father's like, oh, God, my son's gay. Like, you know, I, I do think there's some of that in there. It really wouldn't surprise me. On the parent side of thing, again, and this is you know, some of the stuff I've read and some of the things I've seen, would you rather have a live daughter than a dead son or vice versa? Like the suicide thing, like the suicide rate doesn't seem to change much after transition? Or No, it doesn't. Is that, again, just playing on the fears of parents or how's or what's going on with that? Well, I can give you my, my personal example of that. Um, Prior to finding online stuff, you know, I wasn't suicidal because I couldn't transition. That's just ridiculous. But you spend enough time in these spaces, you pick up the common trends and what people say. So when I saw everyone else saying um, transition saved my life and I wouldn't be here without it, I used to say that. I never really believed it. It was just something that I picked up. And I remember um, roughly 2016, 2017, um, you know, I was telling everyone in my life, you know, transition saved my life and I probably would have killed myself um, had I not been able to do it. That wasn't true. But if you say it, you're convincing yourself that you have done the right thing. Because if you you had to transition, you had to be allowed to transition, you've not made a mistake and everything's going to be great because it's a life-saving treatment. So, you know, that's, it's, very, very common to see that being talked about in trans online spaces. So you pick that up very quickly. How many of them actually believe it is doubtful to me, or dubious rather. Is it just like kids picking up mantras online and then just saying them enough that it becomes in like an automatic response type of thing and they're not thinking beyond that? Or are they are they discouraged to think beyond that? It's I wouldn't go so far as to say that they're going online and finding scripts, but if they read blogs and watch blogs, they will pick up the often repeated phrases. And I'll take you back to um, the Tavistock scandal, because I'm very pissed off with it right now. Um, but one of the things that was noted by the clinicians was a lot of the children who were turning up appeared to be rehearsed in what they said. So they were getting a lot of children who never met one another, they're from completely different parts, um, and come into the clinic and they're saying the same sentences. They're saying, you know, I've always felt this way. I've always known deep down something was wrong. 
And I hate myself so much because my, I know that my brain is different from my body. And if I don't get the blockers or the hormones, then I'm going to kill myself. And it's like when you have so many children, because there's, there's almost 5,000 on the waiting list at the Tavistock. When you've got so many kids basically saying the same things verbatim, that's not genuine. They're learning that online. Let's take the identity. So, you know, when you, if you say that, that, you know, trans women should not be competing for the New Zealand team in the Olympics, you know, you're committing a genocide on the trans identity. Um, and with the religion thing as well, if I criticize Islam, it's like I'm criticizing a Muslim because they are their religion, right? Like it's, it's very, very closely tied with their identity. But yet at the same time, like, I mean, you exist, you're here, Helena exists, you know, I, I've spoken to them, I've seen, you know, like, there's Kira Bell, or, you know, I can, you know, see the stories on Twitter, but then they deny that you exist. They literally say there's no such thing as detransitioners. I mean, we, we had a Canadian politician during the, um, I don't know, the hearings or whatever, before Bill C-6 got passed, and he was a member of parliament, and he said straight out, oh, detransitioners are just a right-wing myth. Again, like, how does that work with with like with your identity and you know they tie everything so closely with their identity but yet they're just so easy to throw out that oh you don't you know there's no such thing as a detransitioner yeah i mean um another something very similar to that was dr jack turban who basically came out um in an interview that he did with the gender gp podcast and basically said detransition doesn't happen but when it does happen it's because of transphobia and that the, they will retransition later. You know, they they don't actually regret their transition. They're detransitioning because of how transphobic society is. Um, and I've reached out to him, and a lot of detransitioners that I know have reached out to him, and he's just ignoring us because people like Jack Turbin, Doctor Jack Turbin, cannot acknowledge that transition regret is possible because it's going to open up the window of how much harm their endorsement of affirmation only has done. Um, so the hostility to detransitioners comes from a very specific place and it comes from if we have to acknowledge that maybe we shouldn't have been transing very young children, maybe we shouldn't have been telling teenagers that they should start taking blockers or, or cross sex hormones or taking 20 year old women to get their breasts cut off. If they acknowledge the growing number of detransitioners, they, the people in that field are going to have to accept responsibility for what they've done. And they don't want to do that. Yeah, I mean that. Like I'm thinking about this, and I'm just saying, okay. When people do finally come to their senses, and I hope it happens sooner than later, the amount of lawsuits that are going to be coming, and I mean deservedly so. Like these doctors need to be put out of business. They, you know, but it's going to make like the the repressed memory thing look like nothing. Yeah, because you know. the other example that um, I found really interesting was the, uh, the multiple personality craze um, yeah. that took place. What did they used to call it? No, it's now called DID. It used to be called multiple personality disorder. But it specifically affected young women in the form of social contagion. And that's exactly what this is, except at an even grander and more harmful scale. Yeah, no, it's, it's crazy now. For parents now, like little kid comes home and whatever, maybe they heard it in school, saw it online, and says, you know, mommy, daddy, I am no longer a boy, I'm a girl, or whatever. And 
if a parent like now obviously like parents want to help their you know most rational normal you know parents want to make sure their kids are okay and they're healthy and so when your kid comes to them and says something like that are there options or just any like will the majority of therapists just give them the one thing of okay well you know you can start you know i do affirmation therapy uh you can start on puberty blockers like that kind of stuff like is it are there options for parents to go look at other places? I think there is, but they're, they're very difficult to find. Like I get messages from parents all the time. Um, and I always just refer them to um, Stella O'Malley's organization and to Genspec because they are specifically set up to advise the parents of trans children. Um, so there are places that they can go. But if they were, for example, here in the UK, if they were to go to an NHS GP, they would only recommend taking the kid to a gender clinic. Whereas if they go to the gender clinic, that's affirmation only because God forbid they take part in conversion therapy. So if you have a child who has experienced rapid onset gender dysphoria, so you're fairly confident that you don't have a trans kid, that something else is going on, don't take them to a gender clinic. Do not take them to a gender clinic because the gender clinic will affirm you need to find another uh, therapist or counsellor that is not attached to the gender clinic who will give a more neutral investigation into what's going on with the kid. Yeah, I mean, here it's like, I don't know what's going to happen because Bill C6 just passed, but in Ontario, they've had a law uh, on the books for a few years now and they changed the 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 family like the family care act or whatever but like the you know the like the family law stuff and so if parents don't affirm the gender of the child the state can take the child away now the most egregious case i've heard of this was an autistic kid who is in first grade so you know really young went to a new school walked into the wrong washroom when he came out uh there was just school official there i don't know if it's administrator or teacher or whatever and they said oh you know what do your parents think that you're a girl now and or do you tell your parents you're a girl or something along those lines and the kid said why would i do that that would get them mad and like it said keep in mind this kid is autistic the 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 province took the kid away for three days god that's every parent's worst nightmare isn't it jesus yeah but i mean but okay I, i'm not talking about fundamentalist parents who would you know if the child's gay or whatever or you know beat them do whatever i'm not talking but like average everyday parents who i mean you know abram x kendi mr woke himself said it like i don't know if you saw the interview where he was talking about it and he said you know if, i think he said my little girl came home one day and said she was a boy and i was horrified mm-hmm. or or if or he i don't know if he said that she did or if she comes to me and says this i would be horrified something along those lines and, you know, because he's talking about his five-year-old daughter. And, like, I, I, you know, parents want to look after their kids. So if, if their son or their daughter comes to them and says, you know, I'm, you know, I'm no longer a girl or I'm no longer a boy. Like, parents are going to want to take care of their kids. Sorry, again, like I said, I ramble. That's okay. Um, like, to me, like, when I had, again, kind of different because I was an adult, but as my dad said, mm. you'll always be my little girl. Um, and when mm. I spoke to my mum and dad, 
you know, when I, I had to sit them down and say, I've made a huge mistake and I'm going to detransition. My dad was very, very much against my transition. He was the one member of the family that was like, I will never have a son and I'm not playing along with us. Um, it hadn't caught me or anything. He's, like, he's a very, very loving man, but he wasn't playing along with anything. Um, and when I sat them down and I explained to them that I was detransitioning, what they'd said to me was, um, "We it didn't bother us that you were identifying as a man. It bothered us that you were going to be going through irreversible medical treatments with a lot of risks and side effects. So, I mean, because when I told them, they looked up what testosterone can do to a female body. They looked up the risks that can come with trans surgeries. So they didn't care how I was identifying. Parents are generally just really concerned with how horribly wrong some transitions can go. You know, I mean, especially now you've got Buck Angel making more people aware of things like atrophy. That can be fatal. So no parent wants their, their kid to go through stuff like that. Okay, with this, like, if you wouldn't mind talking about some of the dangers, like, because again, you see, I see, keep seeing it. Oh, there's you can always stop the puberty blockers. You can, you know, the kids can go take get off it, and it'll be reversed. And I, I mean, I heard one woman just, I think she was a doctor. She just said it straight out that, oh, who cares if they get a mastectomy? They can have their boobs put back on later. It's like, yeah, you know, I saw that. <laughs> I mean, like, so callously talking about young girls like that. It just, I don't get it. Yeah, I mean, I have to tell you, man, I don't want some silicone shit on my chest. I would like my healthy, natural chest back, but that's never going to happen. So I'll, I'll stick with being flat for now. Um, but I mean, yeah, you the risks that I was informed of was that, you know, taking testosterone, um, it can give you a higher, and females, it can give you a higher risk of heart attack. Um, it can affect your cholesterol it can affect your, your mood, so it can um, make you more angry, more aggressive. You may engage in more risky behavior um, and things like that. But I was never told about atrophy. Um, specifically, that's what Buck Angel had, and it nearly killed him. So if you are a biological female taking testosterone, it's recommended that roughly about five years into that, you should get a hysterectomy. Otherwise, you can be at risk of atrophy. Um, that never came up once at my clinic. I had no idea what that was until I saw Buck Angel talking about it. And most of the other trans men that I knew at the time had never heard of it either. So we know that there's, there's probably other things um, that could be a side effect that we still don't know yet. And we'll find out about it the first time some poor trans person is the example of that. And for the puberty blockers... Um, I mean, the NHS here in the UK has had to come out and admit that they don't know what the long-term effects are and they don't know what effects puberty blockers have on children's brains or bones, which was why in the Kira Bell case, they were referred to as experimental treatments. So, I mean, they, they might not be dangerous in that they're not going to kill you, but they're going to affect your brain development. They're going to affect your bone density. Um, if you're going to be maturing at a slower pace than your peers, it's going to affect your social life. And I, I am loath to think some of the other things that that might do to a child that isn't experiencing precocious puberty, because puberty is important. It's how we move from children to adolescence and learn to grow up physically and mentally. 
So pausing puberty isn't just, oh, it's fine, it's just a pause button. No, you're stopping a natural, healthy process and you will be damaging the child in the process when you do that. I, that's the thing. I, I still don't, I can't wrap my head around like how would, like this capture of the medical profession and therapy, how does that come about where, I, I'm still trying to figure, like I said, wrap my head around this. Like how are doctors who are supposed to do, you know, first do no harm? giving things to kids that are it's going to cause harm. I mean, if they give you puberty blockers and you're a female and you don't get proper estrogen, your bones aren't going to harden. And then, you know, like, is that like, you know, just osteoporosis, you're going to get that earlier than you, you should. I mean, things like that. Like it's just, you know, and it, it sounds like a minor thing, but it could lead to some serious problems later on. I mean, like, I I still don't know where that that complete takeovers come from. Well, we're also doing that with the knowledge that and the studies that have been done, if you take a bunch of kids and who have dysphoria and you go through watchful waiting, upwards of 80% of them will desist. So they don't need the puberty blockers. Leave kids alone. Like, as you were saying earlier, if you're an adult, do what you want. Um, I, if this, we weren't doing this to children, this would not be an issue. You'd have the odd pissed off, you know, feminist or whatever complaining about trans women in their bathrooms. But the reason why this has become a massive controversial scandal is because we are basically experimenting on children. And every decent person with a lick of empathy in them can see that this is wrong. The washroom thing, someone's trans and they go into a washroom, like, like whatever, you know, it's, it's, it shouldn't be a huge thing to, I don't think. Um, but it's like, you know, the self-ID and then you can go into whatever washroom you want. That's a bit of an issue, I, I think, or like the self-ID and going into women's prisons. But, you know, I think the sport thing, I, I think, when people see it at the Olympics this year, they might actually, you know, it might actually put it more into the spotlight. Like this is completely unfair. Like a biological male should not be competing with against biological females. I just, yeah. Well, Laurel Hubbard is the best gift to our side, if you will, that we've ever had, because this is going to be on the world stage. Everyone is going to see this biological male dominate in the women's category. And, like, I have enough faith in humanity as a whole that the whole thing is just going to be called out for what it is, and that is cheating. Yeah, but, I mean, again, like, there are some places where I think, you know, you need women's only spaces. I mean, like, there was those um, the swimming pools in London or just outside of London last year or the year before. Um they had, I don't know why they were segregated. I can't remember, but so you had a women's only pool and a men's only pool. And then there were trans women going into the women's only pool. And there was like a bit of an uproar about it. Cause some of them were self ID. Mm. Um, you know, like I said, like I think there needs to be some places that are, you know, female only. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm a little bit more liberal with that on some issues, like with the bathroom issue, I don't care. I, I go to the pub with my trans friends all the time and they use mm-hmm. their preferred bathrooms and there's never been an issue. Yeah. But when it comes to things like prisons or rape crisis shelters or changing rooms where you are going to be naked or sports, absolutely mm-hmm. it needs to be segregated by sex and not gender because sex is important when it comes to things like that. Yeah. I mean, okay, like the, the bathroom thing again, I think it's, you know, if you're in a pub, you're all adults, do whatever you want. I think 
in some public spaces like okay, someone like uh here in Canada Jessica Yaniv who actually talked openly about you know approaching young girls in washrooms and asking them if they were on their period and you know I mean like okay you're a trans woman you know you're 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 not biologically female. Why do you need a tampon? Why are you going up to 13 year old girls in the washroom and asking them for tampons? Like that's a little creepy. Yeah. Like <laughs> Jessica, you is, is, is a man with a fetish. I'm not going to be courteous in that regard because uh, he's a fucking creep. Um, but I saw just before I came on to speak to you, um, a trans woman had posted. Um, I, I can't remember exactly, but it was something along the lines of for all you people feeling sorry that Britney Spears can't remove her IUD, you should also feel sorry for trans women because we want uterus implants and it's the same thing. And it was like, see the trans women and their allies that are saying trans women can have periods and trans women should be able to have babies with uterus implants and all the rest of it. They are on their own going to destroy trans acceptance because that's a whole different level of ridiculous. Okay, on that, because this is one of the things I've kind of been harping about since I got back from overseas. Like, so I returned to Canada in uh, February 2014. And I just started seeing all this stuff online. Like I said, especially came around about the, uh, the race stuff. And then there was, you know, the gender gap and things like that, like the gender pay gap. Uh, I said, okay, you're going to have an overcorrection. I said, if you keep focusing, hyper-focusing on race and racial identity, you're going to have a backlash. And I thought, you know, Charlottesville would have been that backlash and people would have woken up, but no, it's gotten even worse. Like, are you worried about an overcorrection? Like when you said, you know, people, this is going to create hatred for the trans identity and trans community. And like, like I am seeing some of it. It's just an outright rejection of the idea of trans. And I mean, like, you know, like I said, people are adults, let adults be adults and let them do what they want. But are you worried about that? Like that, that overcorrection coming from like there is legitimate pushback against, you know, the whatever the the the, the trans woman in New Zealand going to the Olympics. I mean, there is a legitimate pushback to things like that. But are you like I said again, are you worried about it going too far and just complete rejection of like everything trans? Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I've I've got I'm not so worried about the, my trans men friends because testosterone's a hell of a drug and they all pass very well. Um, but, you know, I've got a couple of trans women friends who um, they're completely harmless. They're wonderful people, um, but they don't pass very well. So when they use, you know, like public bathrooms for this, this whole time, um, there's never been an issue. They go in, they do their business, they leave. That's perfectly fine. Um, but I think if it gets to a point where the whole trans ideology thing has become so ridiculous that everyone gets really angry at it, I'm genuinely worried that my friends, and again, wonderful, completely harmless, wouldn't touch a fly, um, could potentially be targeted for being trans because of the anger that's going to be stirred up with all of this horseshit. Because listen, we should be criticising Hubbard getting into the Olympics. We should be saying, no, a biological male does not belong in a female space. Um, but it's getting to the point where it's so ridiculous and the politicians and the activists have themselves to blame for allowing it to get this far. 
the average person who doesn't buy this is starting to say, you know, I'm sick of this whole trans thing. I'm sick of every time I go online, Eddie Ezzard has come out or Elliot Page has come out and it's it's everywhere and now it's Pride Month and I can't go to the fucking grocery store without there being trans flags flown over it. Um, and I really, hand on my heart, hope this does not have a backlash on, on trans people because the vast majority of them are wonderful people just getting on with their lives they're not the crazy activists the crazy activists are ruining for everybody and it's that's the same thing in in all of it right like yeah there's problems with racism you know like i I live in canada which is not an overtly racist horrible place but i face racism here i'm not saying that there isn't problems but you know, when you start saying the the Real Estate Association of Canada can no longer, I mean, that was this is one of the recommendations they put out to all the real realtors in Canada, don't no longer use the term master bedroom because it brings up ideas of slavery. I mean, it's, oh god, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <Sorry>. So like, <laughs> oh no, no, it's it's stupid. Like it's it's worth laughing at, but but like I said, you know, if that's the level of where we have to get to find racism, I, can we at least agree that racism is being reduced quite a bit? You know, like if that's what you're going after, like, so like, like I said, I, I admit there's issues. We got to fix them, but this stuff gets in the way. And it's, I'm afraid of that backlash. Like, especially now there was a couple articles that had come out about a rising white identity. And it was also like in uh, the American psychiatry association or American psychology association, where a larger number of white kids are identifying as white, which I'm like, okay, let's, let's put a stop to that. <laughs> you know, like, let's put a stop to everyone identifying with, you know, their skin color and all that. But it's just, so like, I'm, I'm terrified of like things like that. And same thing with this. Like, it's just, they're, it's almost like they're taking a piss to see how far before they get punched <laughs> in the face. And it's just, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, again, like with everything, it could be race, sexuality, gender, religion, all the rest of it. Everything has, you know, sexist people exist, racist people exist, homophobic people exist. But when you start saying ridiculous things like our society is sexist, racist and homophobic and it needs to be reformed because the straight white man is the devil. Like, it's so ridiculous and it's actually distracting from the real problems. You know, because it's yeah. if you're going to say, "Oh, the white man is evil," or the, the just the man, the heterosexual man is evil, yeah. it's like you know, it's a, it's more complicated than that. So if you're going to focus on this boogeyman, you're going to ignore all the other complicated factors that come into you know. Well, why do you have the history that you have? Mm-hmm. Why were black people once treated like this, or brown people, or mm-hmm. women, or gay people? And how the strides that we've made, how have we got to where we are? We didn't do it by pointing in people's faces and saying, you must accept me. We did it by showing look, we are all equal and deserving of the same rights and, and all the rest of it. You don't, if I was to come up to you and threaten you with violence and say, you need to accept me as a detransitioner, in your head, you're going to be like, this bitch is crazy. But if I was, you know, <laughs> but if I was to come up and I would say, you know, I'm going to explain to you my story i'm going to tell you what happened um and just let you know and and be aware that there's this thing called detransition that exists Mm. and so that'll put that in your head where you're like you know well it's something for it to be there but i didn't have this horrible threatening aggressive experience with it so i'm open to it do you know what i mean yeah i'm rambling at you now (laughs) no no it's fine it's 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 good i just no i just was thinking about something you'd said earlier and then like like the the corporate woke stuff 
Now, I don't know if this is true or not because I saw the picture on Twitter. So, you know, take this with a grain of salt. But it was supposedly like Skittles for Pride Month and it was like the white rainbow. Okay. And it was like Skittles white pride. I was just like, okay, that's just a little much. <laughs> um, this thing about but pride, did you see I don't the, get it. <laughs> but did you did you see the Netflix? They're doing that new show now, the 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 queer agents or something like that. Oh, the like ridiculously over the top gay thing. <sighs> yeah, but I'm like, again, that's like, okay, aren't you just taking a stereotype again and just, you know, it's like, okay. You're going back to the stereotype of gay being camp and all that. Like it, one of the characters <laughs> is called Twink. I nearly pissed myself when I saw it. I was like, I need to show this to all my gay friends. And they were like, What, what the fuck is this? So I'm like, it's a new show that's coming out. Are you gonna watch it? And they were like, No. <laughs> like, but I mean it's again, this stuff is just okay. You know, there there was a show, um, there's another animated show, but it's called um, they were taking like Big Brother. Oh, was it drawn together? Took, yeah, drawn together. That was the one. And that one episode where they had the gay bash. I mean, like that was just <laughs> I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, like that's that really <laughs> stupid, really offensive type of humor is my type of humor. <laughs> yeah, I just saw the trailer for this, but it doesn't seem much different than kind of what they were doing in that little, you know, that little segment of that episode. It's just, I mean. If you want to make it like if you want to make it a parody, fine, it's a parody because some of this stuff needs to be. I mean, I keep saying this stuff needs to be ridiculed, but at certain points, like how much further can you go than what they're saying? Yeah, like the, the funniest things that I've read on that side recently hasn't been coming from people joking about the woke crowd. It's the insanity that they will say, like the uterus thing, like trans women need uterus implants. And I'm like, that's some funny shit. Because listen, no one, no sensible person will take that seriously. That's funnier than any joke that you or I could crack. Yeah. Or there was that one yesterday about, you know, not misgendering cows or something. Oh yeah, you can't you can't put a gender identity onto animals because they can't tell you their gender when you're just assigned their sex at birth. And all that's bullshit. And um because I, I responded to that and I was like, you know, I completely agree. My cat was assigned female at birth, but we decided we weren't going to gender it. But then it went and shagged about and still got pregnant. So I don't understand when it didn't have a gender and everyone was like, you know, you if you can not take it too seriously, because a lot of people were like, I'm sick of this, you know, you're uh, denying sex-based rights and all that. And I was like, just don't take it seriously. Joke about it. Find a way to laugh about it. Um, because it's only going to get crazier until it uh, dies down. Yeah, no, it's just, like I said, some of this stuff has gone a little too far. Look, I don't want to keep you too long. Um, if you got any last words to say about, like, what people can do to think about this or, you know, how you'd like to try to get your minds around this, please go ahead. Um, I suppose what I would say is don't take either side too seriously. So if you are, I, I doubt there's any woke people listening to you, but humor me. Um, if there's a woke person who thinks that the tariffs and the TR, uh, the tariffs and the gender criticals and all that, all these horrible people, you know, just take a little step back and say, you know, not all of them can be. Some of them must have genuine concerns and go and find out what those are. And then on the other side, if you're, you know, you're looking at trans rights activists and their allies and things like that, and you're thinking they're all just, they all just hate women and gay people. You know, they, some of them have genuine concerns and there is a concern that, you know, 
there, there's room for us to be more accepting of trans people. We don't need to give up our sex-based rights. We don't need to give up our spaces. But gender dysphoria is a very horrible condition. And, you know, show compassion where, where appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like that little caveat. Well, thanks, thank you very much. It was great talking to you. Yeah, I mean, if you're, and, uh, you're ever up for a chat, even... Um, about something unrelated to this just let me know and I'm, I'm always up for a beer and a chat <laughs> oh for sure um and if you want to let people know where they can get a hold of you like uh or your socials or anything like that uh currently i'm only on twitter so i'm at i'm watson 91 but i'm currently toying with maybe one youtube video so <laughs> we'll see how that goes <laughs> yeah, great well yeah thanks a lot thanks everyone for listening right. have a good day